I know you guys were asking the question, can anything good come out of Wake Forest? (laughs) Well, Pastor Kevin said, definitely. And I agree. Thank you, men. What a blessing this morning you were to us. I love that. And I I love when our congregation is singing. Thank you, congregation. I, I, I just believe that's a good offering to God. And I I heard you guys singing today. I just wanted to stop singing myself for a minute and just listen as those praises were lifted up to God. A couple of things I really love. That's one, a congregation just really singing out together, but also a congregation just observing the Word of God, studying the Word of God together, uh, honoring God through His Word. And so this morning as we look at Genesis chapter 10, I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles there and stand with me. My guess is probably very few of you have ever heard a message from this text. You'll get what I'm saying as we read this together. Genesis 10, beginning in verse 1. These are the generations of the son of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Sons were born to them after the flood. The sons of Japheth, Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshech, and Tyrus. The sons of Gomer, Ashkenaz, Ripheth, Targmah. The sons of Javon, Elisha, Tarshish, Katim, and Dodanim. From these, the coastline people spread in their lands, each with his own language, by their clans in their nations. The sons of Ham, Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan. The sons of Cush, Seba, Havilah, Sabtal, Ramah, Saptica. The sons of Ramah, Sheba, and Dedan. Cush fathered Nimrod. He was the first on the earth to be a mighty man. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Erech, Akkad, and Kalna, and the land of Shinar. From that land he went into Assyria and built Nineveh, Rehoboth, Ur, Kala, and Rezin. Between Nineveh and Kala, that is the great city. Egypt fathered Ludum, Anam, Lahabim, Neftuim, Perusim, Kalushim, and from them Phil- and from whom the Philistines came in Kaphtorim. Canaan fathered Sidon, his firstborn, in Heth, and the Jebusites, the Amorites, and the Gergesites, the Hivites, the Archites, the Sinites, the Ar- uh, Arvidites, and the Zimorites, and the Hamathites. Afterward, the clans of the Canaanites dispersed, and the territory of the Canaanites extended from Sidon in the direction of Gerar as far as Gaza, and in the direction of Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, and Zoboim as far as Lacia. These are the sons of Ham by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. To Shem also, the father of all the children of Eber, the elder brother of Japheth, children were born. The sons of Shem, Elam, Asher, Arkshad, Lud, Aram. The sons of Aram, Uz, Hol, Gether, and Mash. Arkpoxid fathered Shelah, and Shelah fathered Eber. To Eber was born two sons, and the name of the one was Peleg. For in his days the earth was divided, and his brother's name was Joktan. Joktan fathered Alamadad, Shelah, Hazaramath, Jerah, Hadaram, Uzzel, Dikla, Obel, Abamel, Sheba, Ophir, Havilah, and Jobab. All these were the sons of Joktam. The territory in which they live extended from Mesh in the direction of Sephar to the hill country of the east. These are the sons of Shem by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. These are the clans of the sons of Noah according to their genealogies in their nations. And from these the nations spread abroad on the earth after the flood. You may be seated. I'm, I'm glad that's over. 
from time to time, Donna and I have some special people that visit with us, a godly young couple that we love dearly, uh, Jacob and Deborah Garcia. Jacob, I'm going to ask you to pray for our congregation today. We, uh, we're in great need of prayer, aren't we? Uh, we want to do the work that God's given us and accurately divide the word of truth and equip people and make disciples. And that's what Jacob and Deborah are about as well. So Jacob, if you would just pray for Lawndale today. Heavenly Father, we come before you in all humility, uh, not because of ourselves or our abilities, but because of your spirit in us. And I ask that you would humble us before you, that uh, you would give us a sense of awe before your majesty and, and the power, the might, the infinite glory of Christ, even as we were singing his greatness and his praises just a moment ago. Father, I thank you so much for Lawndale, this church that exists to exalt you, that exists to exalt Christ. I thank you so much for Pastor Navy and the way that you're using him here, and I thank you so much for the impact that he's had in uh, my life, my family. Uh, Just such a blessing, and I know that he's continuing his ministry, his work here, and I I can see the fruit of that even, even moments uh, even even within moments of walking in here at, at the church, Lord. And so I thank you for this family, this fellowship, and I ask that as we continue to worship you, that you would bless us all in the mighty name of Jesus, your son. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Jacob. Some of you might wonder, why in the world would a pastor spend that time reading through all those names? But this is the word of God. Every word in this book that's written down is inspired by God. It's here for a reason. And when you begin to look at these names, they represent people. There are 70 names of people and nations that are listed here in this text. The number 70 is a a number of completion and totality. And we see that number going down to Egypt. With Joseph, uh, Jacob, and his family, we see that number when Jesus sent out his disciples uh, in the number of 70 at one point. There's a totality that is there. And what we're going to find today is that God is the God of the nations. God is greater than any king. He's greater than any nation. A ruler might rise up and think he has some power and influence, but he is nothing in comparison with God our king. David said it like this in Psalm 8. What is man? What is man? Listen to the fuller text in Psalm 8, 3 through 4. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you've set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Now, David wasn't necessarily writing a, a polemical message here. It was more for him a word of comfort that God was fully aware of every person, every nation, every family. God knows it all. And eight billion people across this world right now. And God knows every one of them. That's how powerful, that's how glorious our God is. David was concerned with what he could see with his eyes. And he realized his smallness and his insignificance. Therefore, even the title of the message, the significance and insignificance of people. I think it's our pride and defiance and rebellion and selfishness that makes us think way too highly of ourselves. 
In the Word of God, when we look at it like a mirror, we see just who we really are. I don't know who this is ultimately credited to, some say Spurgeon, but when we look at who we are, it's not pretty. If, if you would have, if you knew everything there was to know about me, this is kind of the Spurgeon thing, if you knew everything there was to know about me, you probably wouldn't have come this morning. But if we knew everything there was to know about you, we probably would have shut the door before you came in. We're all in the same boat. We're sinners. We think way too highly of ourselves. And so when we look at all of these names, they represent people. And some people ask me sometimes, when, I, when I'm reading my Bible, do I have to read all those names? I think there's a little conviction there. They know it's all inspired, but man, it'd be easier to skip over those names. And, and I say, yes, read through them. Now, you might not do a word study on every name. You might not know all the background and directions of those people, but all of these names are, are here for a purpose. And we're going to see a little bit of that today, and we're going to see how... God works. Now, as I was reading through that list, some of you are expecting, I thought, there's probably some pretty good baby names right here. So you're, you're probably benefiting from trying to think of some good baby names here. But, but more than that, and seriously, there's interesting historical connections when you go through this name. The historicity of the Bible is at stake here, and especially these first 11 chapters of Genesis. Some people say, well, is this really historical? Is this really true and accurate? Or maybe this is all a fable. Maybe this is all a fairy tale, a fanciful way of people trying to come to terms with their existence. And I would say to you, this is written in the most historical fashion it could possibly be written, and it's to be understood. And we have our roots, and we can look back and see all these historical connections from this. And it's only the enemy who would cast doubts on the Word of God. And that's what he did from the very beginning did God really say? And I would say to you in about chapter 10 and all 66 books that we have in the canon of Scripture, God did really say. And God in his greatness has a purpose for every single person that's listed here. The genealogies, they point us ultimately, if we're going to think about why this is important, the genealogies ultimately Point us to Jesus and show us redemption history. We know where Jesus came from, this historical person who left the glory of heaven, as Scripture tells us, was born of a virgin, grew up a sinless in a sinless life. He made all the right choices and obeyed his Father in heaven and qualified himself, not only as God but man, to die for our sin. He was the perfect ultimate sacrifice. And all of this from Genesis 3.15, when we get that first glimpse of the gospel that it would be the seed of the woman who would crush the head of the snake, it's as if when we read through Genesis, we think, okay, could this, could this be the one? Could Seth, one of Adam's sons, could he be the one who would crush the head of the serpent? No, it wasn't him. Could, could Noah be that one? And no. We, we saw the sinfulness of Noah, even though he was a, a, a great man and had faith and walked. We saw that he was not the sinless Savior, the Lamb of God without blemish. And, and we're going to continue to see that as we go through the whole Old Testament, as you're reading through that, that there's only one. And the Old Testament promises the snake crusher. 
The Old Testament promises this rescuer, this one who would be the seed of the woman, and the New Testament delivers. This is him. This is the Messiah. This is the king. And it's all mapped out very clearly for us. And so God sent forth his son, when we think about this genealogy, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. That's what Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 4. Ultimately, when we read the genealogies, I'm thinking, man, God, God may actually save somebody this morning. Not because we've read a list of names, but because somebody looks back and they, they see uh, the connections that God had historically and that God is sovereign over all. And that ultimately, out of this genealogy would come the Messiah, Jesus himself, who would save the world from their sin. So let's come back to the significance and insignificance of people. First point I want you to see, if you have a bulletin and you're taking notes, this is the first one that you would see. You are made in the image of God. Every one of these people that are listed here in chapter 10, they're all made in the image of God. It goes back to the beginning in Genesis 1.26 when God said, let us make man in our image. It's what God did in all these generations that he's talking about in chapter 10 and verse 1 that extended from Noah. Noah directly ascended from Adam and now Noah has his descendants from Shem, Ham, and Japheth. We all go back to that beginning. We're all sons of Adam. We're all sons of Noah. Every one of us in this room, we're vitally connected as, as people who are created by God, made in the image of God. Every person listed here and every person ever conceived, including every person in this room and listening to this sermon this morning, is made in the image of God. That's why God set that standard in chapter 9, verse 6. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. That's the significance, not because of who we are, but because of whose we are. We are the creators, and we've been made in the image of God. Remember, Wayne Grudem describes what the image of God is in his systematic theology. The fact that man is in the image of God means that man is like God. You see the moral and spiritual and the mental and social uh, ways that we're like God. The, the fact that man is in the image of God means that he is like God and represents God. We rule on behalf of God. And those who become a part of the family of God and receive the Messiah, the Old Testament saints were looking forward to that, to that, to the seed of the woman. Those who uh, who've come along after his death and resurrection, we're looking back on it. And those who place their faith in Christ are a part of the family of God. So the image of God is not displaced or eradicated because of sin, but it is distorted. And that's why Jesus said, "A man must be born again." There must be a conversion. There must be a time of when you place your faith in Jesus' death and resurrection and you become a follower. You become a subject of the king, King Jesus himself. So the generations are in the image of God. God is spirit and created people as embodied spirits. 
Therefore, we have the capacity, because we're in the image of God, we have the capacity to know God, enjoy God, and glorify God. Genesis tells us how we got here, and it also tells us why we are here. We're here to know God, enjoy Him, and glorify Him. Remember, God created us out of His generosity because He wanted to share the greatest good. And we're here to experience the greatest good, and that's God himself. All the substitutes, all the things that uh, try to distract us from that greatest good are in the way. And the Holy Spirit brings conviction and help to show us the glory of God. And then when we place our faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to live in us to to bring us to God and to know God and to glorify God. So what went wrong if it is true that we're made in the image of God? I've hinted at that already, but the second point is you're made in the image of man. Every one of these these people that are listed in chapter 10 are also made in the image of man. Do you remember that from chapter 5? It was a a pretty good list of genealogy then, but in chapter 5 in verse 1 of Genesis, this is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God, male and female, Emphasis on gender there all through Genesis. He created them and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. Now think with me for just a minute about that. As verse 3 continues on in chapter 5, when Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness. After his image, and named him Seth. Now, what is that all about? I mean, we're in the image of God. Now you're saying we're in the image of man. Both are true. God uses humans to reproduce humans. There wouldn't have been a problem. We would have multiplied in the image of God if sin had not occurred in chapter 3. That changed everything. So even though the generations are in the image of God, they're also in the image of man. And what I would say to you to be human means that we were created by God to know him and represent him Humans reproduce humans, and sinful humans reproduce sinful humans. That's why we all have a problem. Sin is passed upon all people. We're born sinners. It's the biblical worldview, and whenever we move away from that, we're going to move away from God. We're dependent on God. We're dead in our trespasses and sins, and God in his graciousness and his goodness draws us to himself. Unless God were to draw us, we couldn't come to him because we're dead in our trespasses and sins. He draws us to him, shows us our sins, shows us the Savior so that we can be converted. But we're all in the same line through Adam and Noah. We're we're one blood, one race. I, I want to emphasize that. Look, look over in Acts 17. This is not just an Old Testament Genesis message. There's no, no such thing as just an Old Testament message. It's all connected, but sometimes people say that. But in Acts 17 and verse 26, listen to what Paul said. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. One man from every, he made from one man every nation. We all have the same blood coursing through our veins. We're, 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 We're sinners because we're in the image of man. We're blessed and significant because we're 
in the image of God. Another couple of passages may be good for us to look at. Look in Romans chapter 3 for just a second. I, I, I do want to make sure we dispel any notions that people are basically good. I, I don't know why that's a problem. <laughs> but God just says it clearly in Romans 3 verse 10. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God, all have turned aside. Together they have become worthless, no one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave, they use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips, their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift swift to shed blood, in their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known, there is no fear of God before their eyes. that, That should pretty well settle it. In the image of man. Even over in chapter 5 of Romans. I mean, this is, a, this is a great book, Romans. But notice what he says. It makes these connections about the image of, image of man. The first Adam, the second Adam. Romans 5 verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came in the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted when there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. You see, this is all right theology. As we look at Scripture, we get a biblical theology of, of our humanity and our sinfulness and our need for a Savior. You see, you're made in the image of God. You're made in the image of man. But let's, let's look at the third thing this morning. You are, you are made different from everyone else. What we have in Genesis 10 is a table of nations. It's what it's called, the table of nations. Seventy names or nations that are represented here. And, and most of these names, I would say to you, are people that aren't remembered. If they weren't written down in Scripture, would have no idea, would never look back. And it really does show our insignificance, doesn't it? Because I look back and I know my dad's name, I know my grandfather's name, and it starts getting a little cloudy with a great-grandfather and a great-great-grandfather, right? I mean, how long are you really going to be remembered? Not long. Life is short already. Average age, life expectancy, 80. And then we're gone. And I believe we're gone somewhere, but not here on earth. It's either the place we call heaven or the place we call hell. To be absent from the body for those who follow Christ is to be present with the Lord. And so there, there is judgment to follow. But when you think about this genealogy and you think about these names, we can trace some of these names down and, and we will to some degree. But I just want you to see the brevity of life. And not just the brevity of life, but the brevity of memory. That when you start looking back, I mean, we tend to think we're important. But just think, in another generation or two, there's probably nobody that's even going to know your name. The insignificance of man. We, we have, it's one of the reasons I love to sing together because what, I'm, what we're doing, we're singing, we're joining the saints of old too, right? It's like this chorus of, of people we're singing with, the saints of old and, and, and the saints in heaven, those who are already going on to be with the Lord. And we're uniting with, with believers and followers from all time. But for this time, God has put us on earth to do his work, to know him, enjoy him, and glorify him. 
And our question this morning is, are we doing it? God made you unlike anybody else. There's a genealogy with links that are here. And some of these are very weak links. Some of these are links that turned their back on God and rebelled against God. When you read about Nimrod, in some ways you can read that in a positive way because he was before the Lord. But most people, when they uh, are studying Nimrod, come to the conclusion he was probably a tyrant, maybe even a hunter of men. It's not like he was doing what he was doing for God. It was just that the violence and, and the turning away from God was so great, even that time period. So God's made you different. He's put you within a family to to be a godly influence and to show what it is really like to walk with God. So you think about the sons of Japheth. They're different than the sons of Ham and the sons of Shem. And from verses 2 through 5, you see Japheth's descendants. And most of them are Gentile related. They, They moved in the northern area of Canaan. And, and they spread out. Now, when you read in verse 2, you see some names that you probably would recognize, or at least if you knew the equivalent, like Javan. That's probably modern-day Greece. Meshach. It's Moscow. Coming down to verse 3, and you see some names that I'm from. Tarshish. That's Turkey. Ashkenaz. Germany. I mean, you can see the connections where some of these people groups landed, but they... They were spreading out, like at the end of verse 5, each in his own language. Now, at this point, you might say, well, Rodney, what do you mean? If everybody came from Noah and Adam, I mean, wouldn't there only be one language? And that most likely is Southern English. (laughs) But but whatever they spoke (laughs) in that time, they were in their own language. Now, chapter 11 is going to pull us back and explain why everybody had their own language. Uh, chapter 1 and 2 in Genesis, chapter 2 explains day 6. And so some people say, well, there are two contradictory accounts, even in the Bible of, of creation. No, God gives us a chronological ordering, days 1 through 6. And in chapter 2, he kind of pulls out verse 6 and builds out from it. This is a different perspective. It's not contradictory. And in chapter 10, we're getting this big picture. And then he's going to pull it back in in chapter 11. So let me explain to you why, why we all have different languages and why uh, things are like they are. That'll be the Tower of Babel. But at this point, you see uh, Japhath and his descendants, and they're spreading out. And then you move on to the sons of Ham in verses 6 through 20. And again, you see some names there, Cush, most likely Ethiopia. And Ethiopians are also known as Cushites. Even to this day, you get Egypt, Put, and Canaan. And Canaan became this really rebellious place that at the time of judgment uh, came and the Israelites, God sovereignly brought them to destroy the Canaanites because of their ungodliness and how far they had moved away. And that became the promised land. And, and you see other names in there like Babel and Assyria and, of course, the capital of Assyria that Jonah went to Nineveh. And so you see these historical connections that at least we're familiar with, and and we could walk through all of these names. I'm just pointing out some to you this morning. Even down in verse 19, the Canaanites, and then you see the direction of Sodom and Gomorrah. You just see the ungodliness that was extending out of that. And then in verse 21, you see Shem. That's the third son of Noah is going to continue. Now, just as Japheth was more of the Gentile area, Ham was too. Just 
Ham was more of the enemies of Israel. Now, Shem is going to be the line that the Messiah comes through, the Hebrews. And Eber is another form of that word, Hebrews. So the father of all children, Eber, the elder brother of Japheth, children were born. And of course, we could walk through those names as well. So what I would also want to just note to you, since we're talking about Ham and chapters 9 and 10, is just to make sure we've laid aside any false notion of any kind of curse of Ham, especially as it relates to skin color or ethnicity. Do you know there was a time in history when people would point to this and say that people of a darker skin color were under the curse of Ham? Ken Ham, I don't think he's related to the Ham in Genesis, but in his commentary for families creation to Babel, he said this, note that there's no such thing as a curse of Ham, even though such has been falsely taught in a number of churches. The supposed curse of Ham has even been used in regard to skin shade. Such is nonsense and this false teaching needs to be stopped. It's a shame when people take the scriptures and make them say something that they want them to say. And when there's any kind of ethnic bias or prejudice in the scriptures, there's no room for that. God never, anybody who would ever be enslaved, the scripture calls the enslavers out and says that they're not a part of the family of God. That's not acceptable. And among the family of God, this ought to be one of the more important things that we stress and teach that people from all over the world, all over nations, people of all skin tones and colors are welcomed in the family of God. See, Jesus died for us all. He didn't die for blocks. He died for all of his people. Notice what else can be said. Kenneth Matthews in the New American Commentary said this, there there are no grounds in our passage for an ethnic reading of the curse. As some have done, supposing that some peoples are inferior to others, this was not an issue of ethnicity, but of the wicked practices that characterized Canaanite culture. It wasn't even a curse of him. It was the curse of Cain and his son. And we're not quite sure all the connections because the scriptures doesn't tell us that. And, and many of them would have been Caucasian, by the way, out of that lineage. But what he was talking about more was the behavior and the morality. Their rebellion against God, not skin color. You know, isn't, isn't that a really good lie of the enemy? You know, you don't, you don't like people because they're different. Well, everybody's different to some degree or the other. Everybody. And, and this table of nations is pointing this out, that this is all a, a part of God's design. He didn't mean for us all to be the same. He meant for there to be some ethnic groups who uh, have different characteristics, and that's, that's a good thing. Genesis makes it clear that all of us have the same family lineage. And belong to the same race, the human race. We're all of the same blood. One blood. We all came from Adam. We all came from Noah. Now, again, with the sons of Shem, I've walked a little bit through that with you. But, but I do want to call your attention over to Luke chapter 3 for just a moment. Luke chapter 3. Because... 
when the lineage of Jesus is given when he comes, it's interesting all the connections that are made here. But in Luke 3, verse 34... I, I know you want me to read all of those names starting in verse 23, but I'm going to start down in verse 34. The son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, it's an interesting name that's going to pop up in chapter 12, the son of Tyr, the son of Nahor, the son of Sareg, the son of Ru, the son of Peleg, the son of Eber, the son of Shelah, the son of Canaan, the son of Arphaxad, the son of Shem. It's an important name there. You might want to underline it. The son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahaliel, the son of Canaan, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. You see, that's the line of the Messiah. Shem. It's all, it's all in perfect harmony with what God told us from the beginning, and we see it all working out. The probability of all of that working out is improbable. It's impossible. Only God could have orchestrated all of this through his sovereignty. So the Messiah is coming through Shem's line. Let me give you a summary statement from Bruce Waltke. The table of nations moves from the Japhethites, who are most removed from Israel, to the Hamitic peoples, Israel's closest and most bitter neighbors, and finally to the Shemites, from whom Israel springs. Now in, in chapter 10, you see that at the conclusion of each one of these genealogies. Uh, like verse 5, at the end of each with his own language, by their clans and in their nations. And then at the end of verse 20, uh, by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. And then, of course, at the, at the end of verse 31 with Shem's line. And these are the sons of Shem by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. So God, God knows all the nations. God made the nations. And even though the nations may rage, Psalm 2 And the kings may rebel against God, the kings of these nations. The king of kings has arrived. And he has made things right. And when he comes back the second time, all will be made right. All accounts will be settled. This is part of our faith that we believe what God is doing. We see his sovereignty now. God is gracious to give us all these details and historical accounts that we have that we can look back and our our faith is rooted in history and fact and truth. But yet it's faith nonetheless to see the sovereignty of God in all of that. And so ultimately none of us were here at creation and we say, you know, it, it comes back to faith. And none of us were here when all of these nations were moving out. So it comes back to faith. And so therefore Hebrews 11, 1, let's... Let's read this together as a congregation this morning. Hebrews 11. You you know the drill. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Created. I missed my second part. I'm sorry. I looked at the clock and and went, oh, me. All right, point number four. You are made for the glory of God. 
These generations that he talks about up front, and then verse 32, the same thing. According to their genealogies in their nations, we're, we're significant because we're made in the image of God for the glory of God. And God wanted his glory spread throughout the nations. So you think, well, why, why is it important for God to God for these nations to spread? He told them up front in Genesis 1, be fruitful, multiply, spread across the earth. He told Noah and his family when they came off the boat in chapter 9, be fruitful, multiply, spread across the earth. Why is that important? It's because God wanted his glory all over this world, all over this planet. And all the nations are made for the glory of God. And one day all the nations, as far as those who follow Christ in every nation, they will gather around his throne and they will do what they were created to do. Now, all those who reject him will not. There will not be a place at the throne of God for them. They'll hear those words, depart from me, for I never knew you. But those who followed Christ in Revelation chapter 5, listen to what it says about the throne of God. And, and they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and by your blood... You ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. You see, God's concerned about the nations because he's concerned about his glory. We should be concerned about the nations because we're concerned about the glory of God. And so whether someone's in a nation that we might not prefer, God still has his people in that nation. Remember when he told Jonah to go to Nineveh? That country was not one that Jonah was fond of. How dare you, God, love some people in that nation? God is a God of the nations. He wants people from every tribe and kindred. He wants people from every nation to know him, to enjoy him, and to glorify him. He's worthy of that. You see, you were made for the glory of God and you were made to find your worth in a relationship with God. Don't waste your life. People live meaningless lives on things that are meaningless or people live their lives for eternity on the eternal things because they're concerned with the glory of God. The idols it can be people and possessions. It can be prosperity. It can be whatever, fill in the blank. And our hearts, because they're sinful, are prone to idolatry. One person said the human heart is an idol-making factory, but you'll never find your worth in any of those. You see, as the songwriter said, in Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song, this cornerstone, this solid rock. Firm through the fiercest drought and storm, what heights of love, what depths of peace. When fears are still, when striving cease, my comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ, I stand. God changes nations through changing one person at a time. And maybe you're that one person this morning. You see, one person who becomes a follower of Christ impacts a whole family. A whole family begins to compact a community. A community impacts a city. A city impacts a nation. If you don't know Jesus Christ this morning, your significance is there in Christ. Find your significance in Christ. And this morning we'll have pastors who are available who would love to talk with you. Maybe you've been distracted from what God's called you to do, to know him, enjoy him, and glorify him. We'd love to talk with you and pray with you this morning. Would you pray with me now? Father, 
What a great God you are. Unbelievable to us that you know every person, that you know every nation, and that you're at work bringing about your purposes even in the midst of some of the garbage and messiness and hatred and violence. God, you are good. Thank you that we can place our faith in you and that ultimately you're going to make all things right. Would you in this time help each one of us to be right with you? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.